I may feel sick, but I feel good today. Amen. The Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your presence in this church, Father God. I thank you for your presence in, in this place, Father God. I ask you now, God, as we proceed in your word, God, that your word would fall on good soil in this church, God. God, that those who came to hear, let them hear, Father God. Those who came to spectate, Father God, let them hear also, Father God. Those who came because they were dragged along, Father God, let them hear today, God. Father God, we ask you to strengthen us and, and open our spiritual ears, God, as we just come into your presence now. In Jesus' name we pray. The church say amen. Come on, tell somebody next to you, I've been set apart for God. You know, last week we laid some groundwork into the topic of being set apart for Christ, uh, set apart for a purpose, set apart for a destiny. We looked at how God spoke to Jeremiah's soul and declared that Jeremiah had a destiny and a purpose. Amen. How many of you believe with all your heart? If you believe that God has a destiny for you, just say amen. amen. You believe God has a reason. You were not born by accident. If you believe that, shout glory. glory. Amen. God has set us aside for his purpose and his reason. You know what? The first thing you should write down if you're taking notes today is, I am God's treasure. You should really write that down. I'm okay, I'm okay. <clears throat> I am God's treasure. We left off in Leviticus 20, 26, where it says, You should be holy, for I, the Lord your God, I am holy, and I have set you apart from all the nations to be my treasure. Well, we're going to pick up in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. And Peter writes this, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Somebody say action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you, have, you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Peter writes this, and he echoes Leviticus where he says, be holy, for I am holy. He's, he's talking about what Moses told the people, listen, God says be holy. But for verse 13 and 16, he lays down some things as to why holiness, amen? Uh, sometimes we think of the word holiness, and I don't know about you guys, but sometimes it sounds like a boring life when you live holy. When I was a kid, I would think of living holy as just some monk in some monastery, you know, looking at four walls, praying to candles all day. Anybody with me? Holiness just sounds boring. But if you know anything about Christianity, and I'm learning as I get older, that holiness is an action word. Yeah, yeah. He said, prepare your minds for action. He didn't say, sit down, turn off everything in your house, and be a monk. He said, prepare your minds for action that you might live holy. I don't know about you, but I have the most unboring life ever. It's full of stuff, sometimes drama, sometimes good things. <coughs> but one thing I know is that I'm living right before God. Amen. Anybody here with me? I'm not perfect, but I'm trying. As, Paul, as the apostle writes in Philippians, I have not yet obtained it, but I'm reaching for the prize. So we look at this, and it says in verse 13, prepare your minds for action. In the King James Version, it says, gird up your, the loins of your mind, which meant a great deal. See, when we hear gird up your loins, it doesn't mean nothing to us. Back in the days of the Bible, they would wear robes down to their legs, and all the men would wear robes. And so all these churches around here want to be really legalistic. You should wear robes in church, all the men. 
And he says, gird up your loins. And what they would do was they would take the rope and they would pull it up their legs. They would tie it around their waist into their, you know, crotch or whatever area, the groin area. And they would put it on the side and they would tie it in order that they might run, in order that they might be able to react to an attack. And so the apostle says, gird up the loins of your mind, all that flowing stuff, all those thoughts. Gird it up, tie it up, and prepare your mind for action in Christ. You with me so far? If we looked at it from today's standpoint, he'd be kind of saying, roll up your sleeves, it's time to get some work done. Amen? If they were planning a trip, they would often gather up all their robe and gird it around their loins so that they could act quickly if necessary if anything were to happen. So Peter says, prepare your minds for this action. Preparing to live holy begins here in the mind. If you're going to say, I'm set apart for God, I'm for God, I'm with God, you need to live holy. No if, and, or buts about it. You don't need to know why. You don't need to question it. You just need to live holy. Amen? Somebody say, I want to live holy. I wonder how many of you mean that. <coughs> well, today's church, and we all know this, it's not very popular to live holy. It's not very common where, where we actually live a holy life before God. And so Philippians 4, 8 and 9, listen to this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those such things. He says, listen, take your mind and put them on things that are of God. Take your mind and put them on godly things. Take your mind and put it on things that are lovely, that are pure, Things that are noble, things that are right. Somebody say, the battle is in my mind. <coughs> you know long before you ever cussed anybody out, you thought about everything you would say right here. Long before you acted out any sinful deeds, you thought about it right here. It's always birthed in the mind. We know the scripture very well. Sin gives birth to death. It conceives and gives birth to full-grown death. We know this. We understand this scripture, but yet we don't really do anything with it. We have to understand the scripture clearly says, listen, finally, brethren, think about these things. As a Christian, we say, well, what am I supposed to do as a Christian? I'm, I can't do anything. Everything seems to be sinful these days. He says, whatever is pure, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, those things, you can do those things. You with me, Pastor Carmen? She's with me. I'll preach to you. The point of this preparation is to be ready for action. We have to be ready to act in our minds. Ready when a thought comes that's not of God, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Ready when a stray thought comes and you think about somebody you shouldn't think about, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. When something pops up on your computer that shouldn't be there, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. I just kick the X on the top left hand right hand corner and just keep it moving. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, yes. When someone gives you an attitude, yeah, I rebuke you. I remember Pastor Carmen when I was a kid, she used to rebuke me all the time. Reprendo el diablo. And chase me with a chancla. Right? She still says it. You say something, she doesn't agree with her spirit, just like, reprendo el diablo, whatever she says. I don't even know how to say it like her. But she knows what she's talking about. Why? When those things come into your mind, you have to fight them. If you never rebuke the devil, you're not fighting him. It just makes sense. If you just play with those thoughts and toy with those thoughts, that's what's going to happen. You're going to fall into sin. <coughs> Holiness is not a spiritual ecstasy. Rather, it's an action you need to take. 
Notice what follows Peter's call to prepare the mind for action. Peter says this. I don't even know if I should say this. He says, be self-controlled. How many of you have self-control in this place? Oh, Jesus, nobody here is holy. It is imperative. It is completely imperative that men and women who are holy have the characteristic of self-control in all areas of their life. In the King James, it says to be sober-minded, meaning that not that you're not drunk, it means to not have excess of anything in your life. Not to be full of one thing or full of two things of this or full of that. And he says, no, be sober in your deeds. Be self-controlled. You know how a drunk just can't control themselves? You know, drug addicts can't control the urge. Be self-controlled. So if you're telling me, Pastor, I've got no self-control. What it means is you have too much of some things in your life. Amen? <clears throat> he says, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you. Meaning, as you expect Jesus coming at any minute, live as though he would be here any second. Purity is the idea here, being always prepared for Christ's return. We have to always live our lives as if he's coming back in one second. I plan my life as if he's never coming back, if that makes sense. But I live my life as if he's coming tomorrow or this very next five minutes. If I, if I said to myself, if I said Jesus is coming, I'm not going to send my kids to school. What for? I'm not going to plan college for them. I'm not going to quit my job. Jesus is coming. We saw that happen this year. Tons of people quit their jobs, sold their homes, sold their cars. Was that May 26th or May 24th or whatever it was? And Jesus is coming. End of the world. <coughs> that day came. That day went. Only thing that didn't come was Jesus. Their houses went. That gentleman raised up, the, what, I forgot his name, Harold something. He raised over $180 million in two days. The people selling their houses and giving him all their money and, and to, to put these billboards up all across the country. And what happened? Nothing. They planned their lives as if he was coming rather than live their lives. You know, if you live your life and say, you know, I got to be careful. Jesus is coming. You won't swear. When you do swear, you'll fight. You'll catch yourself. Man, that doesn't honor God. You wouldn't be finding yourself caught up in sexual immorality. You'd be have to forget the fear of the God. You, you mean when I, was, when I was younger, when I was about 18, 19 years old, and I was really in the church, I had the fear of God. Man, I broke up with my girlfriend because I didn't want to do anything with her. Yeah, I'm serious. I said, uh-uh, girl, I'm trying to serve, I'm trying to serve God. It's, it's, it's over. I came to church crying, Lord, help me. I don't want these feelings. I don't want none of this. God, he took it all away. Why? Because I knew that I would fall into sin being around that woman. I knew I would be in sin hanging around some of my friends. I would end up smoking, drinking, doing whatever. And so I cut them off. Because I had to live my life as if he was coming. Not as if I had time to get forgiveness. <coughs> many Christians, we live our lives as if we have time. And many times... We find out we don't have as much time as we thought. And I don't want you guys to be one of those people who just caught off guard. You should live your life every moment, every day, as if Jesus is coming. And you will find that you raise an expectation of holiness in your life. Peter's use of this word self-controlled is powerful. He's telling us to control ourselves, our body. 
control the body. We know the soul loves God. The soul yearns for God. The soul longs for God. The body is of this world. It does not. It has no law of God. It does not care about God. We have to command our bodies to serve God. That's why it's so hard to get up on a Sunday morning. I was so groggy this morning. I had NyQuil last night. My cough, man. I woke up. I did not want to be here today. Anybody honest? Anybody? Anybody? Everybody just thrilled to come to church today? Everybody just chipper? Just Everybody's holy today, Carlos. I don't know. Understand this. When one views God, the real God, the wonder of God, the wonder of his grace, when you really look at God and all he's done for us, when you look at all that stuff, it'll drive us to live in a way that pleases him. I don't think they heard that. I'll say it again. When you look at God in all of his fullness, in all of his holiness, thinking about everything he's done for you already, it will drive you to live in a way that honors God. <coughs> many times that we sin is because we forget how good God is. And many times we sin is because we know how good God is and he'll forgive us. But I would challenge you, if you would every day open your eyes to the goodness and the greatness of God, that you would not find yourself constantly slipping and falling into sin. You would find yourself saying, no, no, he's been too good to me. He, he's been too good. I can always, always relate it to a relationship. A, a, a spouse will not cheat on their spouse when they're being treated well. When they have respect and fear for each other, they have love for each other. Listen, I won't do that to her, no. No matter what some girl does to you, now I'm not going to do that. I love God too much. I love him. Amen? And so when you have this idea of what God has done for you and how great he is, you live holy. Because you'll have an automatic uh, appreciation for him. If you don't desire holy living, it's simply because you haven't witnessed the greatness of God in your life. Many folks, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to serve God. I don't want to. Why? Because they don't know what God has done for them. Listen to what John said in 1 John 2.15. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Do not love the world or the things in the world. Jesus wept. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to read that again. Do not love the world. Everybody heard me? Everybody on the left side of you heard me? Y'all good? We're okay? Very quiet. It's all right. Do not love the world or the things in this world. Your clothes, your shoes, your pocketbooks, your makeup, your laptops, our iPads, our computers, our cars. Don't love them. Oh, this is hard. We're talking to a church these days who are just pumped. We're just surrounded by unholiness. We're surrounded by ungodliness. We live in a city where you can't drive down the street without hearing some ghetto music. You can't, you're always surrounded by some filth, some type of sin, some debauchery. I know it's not easy to live holy for God. I know it's not. But he never said it would be easy, John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus told his disciples, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. He told him flat out, you're going to have trouble. Mike, you're going you're to be in a mess your life. Carlos, you're going to have a rough life. Is that okay? Do you still love them? When you love somebody, it don't matter what happens to them. Be there for them. Yvonne, you with me? She's with me. 
<clears throat> when you love somebody, they get sick, you're there. When you love somebody, when they're, when they're down and out, you're there for them. When they're depressed, you're encouraging them. When they're hurt, you're healing them. When they're scarred, you're fixing them no matter what. But not when it comes to God. When it comes to God, we just, he'll understand. And that's that. In this world, you will have trouble. He says this, do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone, somebody shout anyone, loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, meaning the lust of the flesh, meaning the things you, you desire, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The lust of the eyes, you know, I've realized something. I am an optic eater. I'm talking about I'm an optic eater <coughs> I don't eat with my stomach I eat with my eyes and I saw that choco flan that my mother-in-law made and I said I want a big piece my eyes told me I wanted a big piece and Thanksgiving without all that food I said oh I'm gonna have some of everything truth be told I had a little bit of like three things I realized something I'm not a big eater but I always put so much food on my plate because of my eyes and so the Apostle John writes, it's the lust of the eyes that you have to watch out for in this world. Because the lust of your eyes will tell you you want some things you don't even need. How many of you have been to those? We get so excited. I was talking to somebody yesterday. Maybe a day before that. We were talking to somebody. I was just like, you know, going to one of those uh, all-you-can-eat buffets. I always have like one and a half plates. I should have gone to a regular restaurant. <coughs> We go over there, I'm going to have this, I'm going to have that, I'm going to have this, I'm going to have that. We go up there, eat one plate, and it's like, oh, you going for another one? I'm going to try. We eat with our eyes. And so he says here, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, be wary of them. These things are not the Father, but they are of the world. If you love the things of this world, you're listening to me. If you love the things of this world, if you are in love with your life, if you are in love with the things in your life, you do not love God. Right there, it says the love of the Father is not in him. I can read it in Spanish if you like. I'm not making this stuff up. The love of the Father is not in him. We cannot serve two masters. And so the Bible says the love of the Father is not in them. Peter also connects this word holiness with this second coming of Christ. For as I said earlier, when we believe that he is coming at any second, it affects the way we live in our lives. We are told to abandon our old ways that we used to live by. Then we, then when we used to sin, we were ignorant. Before you were saved, you did not know. Before you found out the truth of the gospel, you were ignorant. And we did what everybody else did. But now our eyes are open to sin and we need to be aware of what pulls us away from God and avoid those things. Those old evil desires should not be expressed anymore in your bodies. Rather, the spirit of, the, of God should be evident in your life. Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the spirit, Galatians 5.22, is love, <coughs> joy, 
forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no, somebody say no. No law. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Those are the fruits. What is that, though? What does that mean? It means that when you plant the seed of the Spirit in your life, and you begin to operate in God, and you begin, I might get a little deep here for some of you, and you begin to really live for God, and you really start living like a Christian and live holy, and you stop living halfway and coming for whoever brought you, and you live the real deal, you will begin to experience joy. My goodness. For all you depressed folks who are living half-heartedly for God, my iPad says it, my Bible says it, the Megatron can say it if he puts it up there. If you put the Spirit in you, you will have joy. A bunch of depressed Christians all the time with all your problems. I'm with you, Yvette. She put it on Twitter yesterday. What's up with these Christians? Always so sad, always so mad, always so sad. always got problems. Because they don't have the Spirit of God in them. They don't have the fruit of the Spirit evident that you have been living for God. Oh, but I'm trying. I'm this. No, you're not really. There's no trying to live for God. You either do or you don't. You're either pregnant or you're not. Peace. How many of you need peace in your life? Some of you need peace in your homes. Forbearance. I think a lot of us could use some kindness. A lot of us could. When you want kindness in your life, serve God for real. Stop being fake. Don't believe the lie. Fake is not the new real. I'm telling you. You will have goodness in your life. Faithfulness in your life. Are you single people? You want faithfulness? You want God to bring a faithful spouse to you? Live for the Spirit and your life will be filled with faithfulness. Somebody say faithfulness. This one's tough. Gentleness and self-control. Do you want to learn how to control all the urges that are in your body that don't please God? Your urge to sin, it just says serve God for real. Let the Spirit of God live inside of you and you shall have self-control against such things. There is no law. What does that mean? It means you cannot be under the punishment of God. Nobody's excited about not being under God's punishment. I think they all want to be be chastised by God. We have become so accustomed to always having an issue that we feel more comfortable in crisis than in living in blessing. We have become more comfortable living in a mess. We've become so accustomed to being broke. We just like it better. We just become so accustomed to things. We say that's how it's going to be, but no. God says no. You can have all these things if you live for me correctly. That was worth a little more than just a, oh, amen. Gentleness and self-control. Self-control. I think a lot of us, we, we could use that self-control. God knows we can use the self-control to control your mouth, control your attitude, control your overbearing personalities, control all the things that God would not desire in you. If you can't take it to heaven, you shouldn't have it on earth. Oh, Jesus, you don't want to hear that one. I could preach that all by itself. So when you sow the Spirit into your life, the harvest you get is joy and love. I mean, some people really need love in this place. You get peace and forbearance, kindness and goodness. You get all these things. If you lack those things, if you lack love in your life, if you lack self-control, if you lack peace, if you lack joy, if you lack goodness and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness, it's because you don't live in the Spirit. 
I should have gone outside and preached. Maybe I. It's because you don't live in the Spirit. It's if you're sitting here saying, that sounds good. Well, it is good. And I experienced much of this. Do I have it all? No, God, no. I think he's given me a little bit of self-control lately. But I never control myself. Compared to who I used to be, oh, I thank God I don't look like what I've been through. But I've been able to, to grow, grow in my spiritual walk, and every day I conquer more and I conquer more and I catch myself because I'm living in the spirit, amen? If you desire, desire joy, to not be stressed and to always be sad and weak, then walk in the spirit of God. Walk in the excellence of God. What does that mean? How, how do you walk in the spirit? By obeying what God wants you to do and not to do. Amen? <clears throat> By having respect for God's law. Walking in the spirit. When you go through things, you don't mind going through things when you walk with God. You don't understand that when you, when you go through a trial and tribulation, when something bad happens, your first response is, oh, my God, my whole life. No, when you go through things and you're walking in the spirit, man, this is an opportunity for God to show himself to me. When you're walking in the spirit and you go through an issue, a trouble, you find yourself with somebody broke into your house like my sister, and she's just like, okay, whatever, no problem. And the next day somebody buys you a TV and throws it in your trunk. Oh, come on, that's walking in the spirit. I mean, that's a little bit of, come on. That's just the, that stuff doesn't just happen. You have to understand that you have to walk in joy. When you can walk through the fire and not worry about getting burned, God will protect you. Somebody say amen. <clears throat> People who are stressed and have all types of issues, have no control of their lives and their finances, they'll have no control of their emotions, their children, their marriages, their entire life will be out of control. They'll be filled with hurts and constant conflict and will always find themselves with an issue. But if they would only walk in the spirit. Peter again says, verse 15, he's talking about how we have to live holy after God. If God is holy and we have God in us, then we have to live holy also. Peter doesn't spend time to battle and to argue as to why one should be holy. He just says, listen, God's holy, you got to be holy. I got five people excited about living holy. To be set apart for God. To have a purpose. To, to show the difference in the world. He does not spend time arguing why. But he says, because God is holy you should be holy. The call to holiness is based on the character of God being holy. We can't embrace God, or rather, we can't embrace the God of the Bible and fail to embrace a holy lifestyle. You cannot embrace God. You cannot call yourself a Christian. You cannot say God is in me. You cannot say he's living inside of me if you are not fighting to live a holy life. You cannot say God is my Savior, Jesus is my rock, my fortress, and whom I trust. You cannot say these things if God is not living inside of you, if you're not living a holy life. Because sin separates us from God. And so if sin separates us, holiness draws us in. And so when sin separates us from God, the only thing that can draw us closer is to have a holy life. And the only way to live a holy life is to plead the blood of Jesus on your life. And not go back into your sin. To have one is to have the other. When you have God, you have holiness. Hebrews 12, 14. This might be today's most unpopular scripture. Hebrews 12, 14. Without holiness, it's impossible to see God. 
I'll say it one more time. Without holiness, it's impossible to see God, meaning get to heaven, see him in your home, in your finances, in your family, with your bad little children. It's impossible to see God work a miracle when you're sick. It's impossible to see God work in you when you have no holiness. Without holiness, it is impossible to see God. You got this today? I've been set apart by God. And I can't live like everybody else. And so because I've been set apart by God before he laid down the foundations of the earth, he chose me. Amen? He chose you. Somebody say he chose you. Holiness requires a performance before God. Not just doing anything. It requires you to do good things rather than bad things. Holiness does not mean to do nothing. It means to do a lot of good things. Listen to what Timothy says in Timothy 2.11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope. The glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us to redeem us. Somebody say us. From all wickedness. And to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Is anybody here eager to do good? This is the purpose of God, to redeem you, not to come to church and feel good, but to be eager to do the good work of God. To be eager to spread the gospel. To be eager not just to come and be a Sunday Christian, but to say, how can I change the neighborhood? How can I be a part of what God is doing? To be eager. We see as Christians get longer in the faith, they do less for God. And you have to depend on the people fresh coming in. Oh, somebody say amen. That's not popular either. These then are the things that we should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. And do not let anyone despise you. <coughs> He's teaching here about holiness. Titus here teaches about this holiness that mirrors what Peter was talking about. Holiness is a real change in how we live and how we think. It's not just a religious concept. It's a concrete lifestyle. It's about how you do things, rather how you don't do things. It's not something, however, that can be legislated by, by the law of the country. It's not something that we can make others do. It is something that we must do in our own lives by our own example and affect others. Others will be affected by your example. Why are you affected in this church? You're affected by my example, my worship team example, the ushers, the greeters. You're affected by example. You didn't come here for no reason. You came here because of something, because an example was placed before you. Every day, God surrounds you with people who are not saved, and they are examples that you should be a light to. They are examples you should be a light to. As Christians, you should not lead people to sin. You should take them from sin. You should not bring them into your home to sin. You should take them from sin. Amen? We can never legislate morality. The old law, the book of, of, of the books of Moses prove that this doesn't work. The world needs to see a model perspective of holiness. The world needs to see, guess what? They need to see you living holy. They need to see you living holy. You know, if most of you would start living holy, we can come to church and just say, well, everybody else is doing it, so I'm going to be holy too. 
But instead, we say, well, everybody else is living half-heartedly in church, so I will too. But let's, let's raise a standard of holiness. Holy living will provide this model for others. If the church and Christians don't, do not live um, living a holy life, our, our cause for the world to be holy will be nothing. Well, we can't call them to be holy while we're living reckless. But we should be first holy to God. Amen? Holiness teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives. Perspective begins in the mind, remember, but then it flows out into our actions. When you change your perspective on something, you can change the way you act about something. Amen? When you look at the situation and say, this is not too difficult, then you will put your feet to go accomplishing that thing. When David saw Goliath, he said, that's it? That's not too hard. And he went out and did it. When Solomon saw the temple on the ground, he said, I, I, can, I can build this, Lord. I can do this. And then he saw the problem wasn't too big. His perspective was right. And he was able to accomplish the, the building of God's temple. When Gideon saw that he only had 300 men, he saw this, this huge army. And he said, oh, that's not that hard. I trust God. My perspective is right. And then he went on to victory. When your perspective is right, you can accomplish anything. <coughs> There's no such thing as a Christian life that doesn't include holiness. Paul says uh, here to this young pastor, Titus, that God's grace should do two things. Number one, help you say no to ungodliness and to worldly passion. And two, to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives as a person in this present age. Once again, that was Titus. God's purpose is for us to live holiness. Amen? We cannot allow the world to see holiness as a negative thing. When you're holy, you talk different. You act different. Your values are different. Your perspectives are different. God's purpose is holiness in us. God's purpose is... It's for you to live a life that is contagious. Your attitude should be that of holiness, of living right. You should be offended by sin. You should be hurt by it. You should have the right attitude. Attitude is contagious. The question is, are you worth catching? Attitude is very contagious. If I walk into a room with an attitude, people won't talk to me. And soon, they'll just be like, oh, they'll be whispering, and the whole room will change. Because they know pastor has an attitude. I know this because it happens. <laughs> I'm not Jesus. I just work for him. And so my attitude has that to be, has to be like that of Christ Jesus. An attitude of holiness and humility. Loving God. Doing the will of the Father regardless of how I feel. Do you know that? Your attitude should be like that of Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 all the way to 16. Who though in very nature was God, did not see himself as equal to God. And he humbled himself even to death, death on a cross. And so he was exalted above all men. To the right hand of God. He humbled himself. He sat in the garden praying and he said, not my will, not my will. He opened up his prayer with, not my will. Today we open up with prayer with God. I like this. I need that. I'm going through this. I'm going through that. What do you need me to do, Lord? He said, not my will. Your will, God. Whatever you want. 
talk to me, Lord. Not my will. What do you want me to do? Not how I want to talk. How do you want me to talk? Not how I want to act. How do you want me to act? Not how I want to see. What do you want me to see, God? God, I don't care how they see me. I want to know what you see in me. Man, that's holiness. That's a humble attitude where Jesus said, not my will, not my Friday. It's your Friday. It's not my Thursday. It's your Thursday. What should I do for you today, God? I woke up this morning and got out of bed and I said, Lord, what can I do for you today? Not what can I do to appease my flesh. Not what can I do to entertain my time. But Lord, what can I do for you today? But I would not waste another day. Jesus said, listen, not my will, but your will. If at all possible, pass this cup from me. But not my will, but your will. Come on, stand with me. Come on, tell them right now, not my will, but your will. Not my will, Father God. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Come on, let's begin to pray right now. Wherever you're standing, begin to pray right now. Come on, tell them, not my will, Father God, but your will. Not my will, Father God, but your will. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. Holy Spirit. Come on, to be set apart means to be, to be showing God's will in this world. When you're living holy, you're living right for God, you're reflecting what God wants to see in this world. Come on, every head bowed, every eye closed. Come on, is there anybody in this place today who hasn't made that commitment to Christ, hasn't made that commitment to him and saying, you know what, God, today I want that right now. Today, Father God, I want that. I want that one-on-one relationship with the Father. I want that relationship that, that you guys are talking about. I don't know him as my Savior. If that's you, come on. With every head bowed, every eye closed, come on, let's respect each other. Lift your hand. If that's you, you're saying, Pastor, I want you to pray with me right now. Lead me in the sinner's prayer. Thank you. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. You're saying, I don't really know him like I should. I don't know him like I should. Come on, if you have your hand up, come to the front. If I can get my ministers, let's go, let's go. My prayer team, come on. Come to the front. I see you five. Come on, come on to the front. We can pray with you. That's all right. Come on. We want to pray with you. We got to put all our hope in him. You say, I don't know him. I'm not set apart because I'm not living holy. Every head bowed, every eye closed as they're getting prayed for right now. Is anybody else who's saying, Pastor, yes, I know him as my Savior. Pastor, yes, I've been in this church, but get it. I'm not living holy the way I should. Come on. If that's you, the altar's open. The altar's open for you today. Come on, my hope is in you, God.
Tell them right now. Tell them I love you. Is it?